Hello and welcome to another episode of Leisure Time with Duncan and Jonathan. As always, I am Duncan. And as always, I'm Jonathan. Alright, and today we're going to let Jonathan's going to take the quote unquote reins, as it were, uh, because we're going to be talking about. We're going to go back to the console wars again. And this time we're going to be talking about the. What is it? The. Uh, one, two, three. The fifth generation? Yeah. I would say the fifth generation. It's the generation where cartridges. I would say they were phased out, but they weren't the main means of uh, video game distribution. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, they weren't the uh, medium for which video games were played on as much anymore. No, and they got into the CD ROM had finally taken over. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was when, you know, CD-ROMs were a thing, and, you know, that could include PC games as well. We might touch on that, too. Yeah. Because it is significant. Because that's when you start to see, like you said, CD-ROMs take over, and uh, people uh, buying more PS1s and Sega Saturn, which we're going to touch on that as well, because yeah. Sega Saturn, at least by my... Uh, frame of reference is kind of like one of those underrated consoles where you remember it if you were there, but you know, if you weren't around, you could have missed out on it completely. Yeah, and like we said, and like I said before, um, my first home console was the PS3, which is actually right next to my computer, <laughs> which is right next to the monitor I have right here on my laptop, and um. As we're recording this, so, um, yeah, and I still have the, uh, headset I got for it, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we're talking about the PS1, the, um, original 95 release, at least stateside anyway, um, <laughs> which had a longer, you know, a very long shelf life, and it had a lot of very popular titles on it. Yeah, let's get the obvious ones out of the way, okay, Spyro. Um, Crash Bandicoot, okay, actually I actually have it backwards, it was Crash came first, and then Spyro, then there was, um, yeah, you had those, pro, those original choices for those, then you had, um, Jack and Daxter was on there, Memory Serves, um, Jack Daxter, uh, Rain Man was ported, yeah, both Test Drive and also Gran Turismo, both yeah. of them were kind of going head to head in terms of that. And Gran Turismo was launched on the PS1. And then, and then on the wrestling side, you had the original SmackDown from 99. That came out right when the show debuted. <laughs> SmackDown 2, which came out, I believe, within the next year or so, I want to yeah. say. I think the sequel was released a year after that. Yeah, you're right. I think Know Your Role did come out in late 2000, I forget. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and then in between here, you had a couple other ones like In Your House, which is, you know, 96, which is the arcade style, so that stood out. Yeah. And yeah, then Warzone come out in 97, which, you know, was very popular to the point where it became the greatest hits. And you always knew which CD-ROM was in the greatest hits package because of the green tint that the packaging would have. And they had the little red, at least for the PlayStation, they had the little red bar at the top of the jewel case as well. <laughs> um, and, and they, would, they would always be priced uh, 
budget front. You know, they, they were always budget front type. We were happy when you would see that because it was like, okay, you know, if you do Christmas shopping or birthday shopping or whatever, you can get a game for a much cheaper price than trying to pay, you know, the suggested retail price when the first comes up. Yeah, that's always fun because, I mean, and, and <laughs> yeah, but still. Um, yeah, like I said, that's fun. But still, it really is amazing looking back on, as I, as I got the, um, original Spyro the Dragon, um, okay, well, actually the port of it for, um, the PS1, a port version of the PS1 release for the PS3, and I also got, eventually I got Crash Bandicoot, the first one, um, and that one, so, Yeah. It's funny, because I missed out on the first Crash Bandicoot, but for some reason I got the second one as a greatest hit. You know, that, that's my first uh, experience with that franchise. Right. And I really enjoyed it. And then, you know, I got warped not long after that, which, which is probably still one of my favorite Crash Bandicoot games, because that, that was just a well-done game. <laughs> I like the idea that each level you know, had a different time period attached to it, and I liked that you could play as Coco and Crash. Like, I always thought that was cool. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, um, still. You had a couple of those, and, yeah, I mean, and then you had, after, now you had, it was like I said, the PS1 had, what, a good, um, eight years, I think, is how long it lasted before it was finally retired uh, outright. I, I want to say, a nice little eight-year run. <laughs> yeah. And, and it seemed like you know, successes, especially for that particular brand, were coming out left and right. Now, they did have some couple ones that didn't do as well, like Mortal Kombat 4, I gotta say that. <laughs> you know, that, that probably wasn't one of the better games in the series, just due to the mechanics and everything, but eh, that's, that's one <laughs> blip on the radar. I don't really think it damaged the reputation of either PS1 themselves or the Mortal Kombat brand. It's just like, it is what it is. Yeah. And then you had Metal Gear Solid. That was a good one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I honestly believe that if Metal Gear Solid hadn't taken off as well as it did, you probably wouldn't see COD now. Like, I, I feel like it no. laid the groundwork for COD and Fortnite and all, all those other, you know, first-person shooter games that came out after that. Even though Metal Gear Solid predates them by, you know, quite some time. And it also has a top-down, third-person camera angle, so it's not... <laughs> yeah, which, trying to play that game in hindsight, because I only got the demo, I was a little too young for the full game, but I just remember right. playing the demo and trying to get used to the whole third-person camera. It's not the easiest thing to do. Especially with the way that it keeps shifting um, on yeah, you, like, on it's the a, map. It's a learning curve, to be very sure. Yeah. And then I cannot forget about all the sports titles that came out around that time. Because NBA Live, that's a huge one. <laughs> and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention both Madden and Game Day. Can't forget about Game Day either because Game Day had a nice little run. 
NFL blitz, I see you too, because you you had you had your run as well. I can't forget about you. <laughs> and blitz was interesting because once again it brought back the whole arcade style, whereas Madden and Game Day were more of a simulation type of deal. At the time, anyway. So it's still that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Twisted Metal no more this too, because <laughs> Twisted Metal was one of those, you know, unexpected successes that Sony had that just really took off. Yeah, that's one of the ones I never got a chance to play, and most, as far as I can remember. Well, it's mostly because of the age thing. It was also because of... Yes, that was one of those things where... Because of the content of the game in question, it was not exactly conducive to um, being played by preteens. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's funny. I had, to, I had to sneak it in my own way because mom, I couldn't tell her that I was playing. And my uncle, though, he was just like, as long as you do what you see on the screen, I think you're good. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> And then, uh, let me see, let me think of some other titles that were... Sega Saturn, on the other hand, they had Virtual Fighter. That, that was a big one. Mm. Even though, in hindsight, it didn't age as well as some of its contemporaries, like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Looking back at it. And then Virtual Cop was another one that I... I briefly played that one. I do remember playing it, but I never owned a Sega Saturn. It was always somebody that, like, my uncle had one at one point. And then I had, I knew some friends at the time that I would go over to their house and play their Saturn because they had one. Yeah, those were fun. And, um, yeah, and it was like I said, because I had, it was my first console, like we mentioned at the beginning here, was, um, was the PS3, and I had the P. I got the PSP um, a year or so before I got that, but um, and so I was able to access. And one thing, another one we should probably bring up is the Tomb Raider series. That's a big oh, for one. Sure. Because again, it goes back to you know late groundwork for first-person shooter. Resident Evil well, Two. I can't. I can't. Leave them out of this because Resident Evil, you know, they kind of had the whole first person shooter element with a more horror themed element. Same goes for Silent Hill, technically. Yeah, like they both kind of, you know, played off of that and they were very popular because of it. One of which, you know, ended up, well, actually, they both ended up having film, but I will say the former product. <laughs> Probably got more of a uh, film spin-off than the latter did. Yeah, the very least, one area is considered to be, uh, and admittedly, with the issues with um, video game movies or, adapt, or film adaptations of video games, it's really amazing that the um, Resident Evil film franchise has not suffered as much. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. You know, that, I, I think that's due to, you know, whoever's there to treat the source material too, because yeah. video game okay. adaptations are a lot like book adaptations of film. Because you have ones like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is, you know, well done. And in fact, I think 
And that one particular case, the film might outshine the book by a little bit. That might be the one instance where I say that. But getting back to uh, virtual, you know, getting back to Sega Saturn, it's worth noting that Sega also had the Game Gear at the time, which is some people had it, some people didn't. I don't know why that never really caught on as well as the Saturn did, but it just never it did okay. It did okay. I think the Genesis might have outshined, you know, the Game Gear or the Sega CD. <laughs> Yeah, and a couple of those. Um. Now, of course, later on, when Nintendo decided to do 64, you start to see cartridges again, you know, be the main medium for games. <laughs> and they, too, had a very great run. <laughs> yeah. So it was always interesting to see them kind of go um, back and forth. You know, Sony... My, Microsoft really wasn't on major player in the game market, at least not at that time. Okay. Now, let's go this one out of the way. Let's talk about the Atari Jaguar for a minute here. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah, bring it up. Jaguar is another one of those consoles where if you were around, you might remember. Yeah. But there's a whole uh, group of people that may not have even known about its existence at all. And for those who don't know, Atari Jaguar stood out because it was 64-bit. Allegedly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, well before Nintendo got to it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't 16-bit like Sega Genesis was. No. Or 32-bit like the the Saturn or the PlayStation 1, respectively. (laughs) Right, which, you know, they played on it saw some of those commercials they kind of you know took a little pot shot you know <laughs> like, they, they made that very clear they, yeah oh okay, we're, we're different from the other guys so you know go choose our system but Atari just never at least with Jaguar they never caught on the same way that uh the what is it not 2600 I'm thinking about what was the other one before that one that would be the first home console that was not that had cartridge slots. If it, <laughs> and, and, and that was the one that really caught on. So yeah. you know, for Jaguar to come out, I, I see what they were trying to do, but it just was never. I don't know. I guess the market was already kind of oversaturated and just never really caught on. Yeah, it's also the fact that um, while it was. Technically, it did add up to 64 bits with the full processing. It was really the performance was at the same level as the Genesis or the SNES, really. Um, <laughs> there wasn't enough improvement to even um, to really qualify as a true 64 bit system. <laughs> so, right. Now, I think at that point, um, it's hard really to get ahead a foothold in the market anymore because if you look like even people on my block (laughs) you know you either had a Genesis or you had an SNES I mean that's just what it was you might have had a couple other people that had other consoles but as far as 
who had, you know, the greatest foothold in the market was those two. I mean, that's just what people gravitated to. And I think in the case of both Genesis and SNES, there were a lot of titles available too. Because, I mean, at one point, you go into Toys R Us and it'd be a whole slew of just like games. That's all you see. Like a whole just wall full of <laughs> Sonic, Mario, whatever you wanted. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Mario Kart taking off the way that it did, Mario Party taking off the way that it did. That really helped out the whole SNES thing. It was just like, oh, Rainbow Road? Let's do it. Yep. Saturn, you know, Sega Saturn, they, they, they had their run, but I don't really think it caught on the same way that Genesis did because I think at that point we were so used to cartridges. So CD-ROMs was still kind of... I think that had a lot to do with the fact that PCs weren't as prevalent as they are right now. That, that might have played a part in it. Because PCs, you know, you might have had an uncle or a cousin that might have had one. <laughs> but as far as every family having a PC in their house, not, not really. And of course, laptops, forget about it. <laughs> they, they had yet to catch on too, so it was just like, okay. And then DVD players were still kind of new too, so it was just like, okay. What do you mean I can put a CD in to play this game? Are we, are we gonna listen to some music or what? Like, you know, there, there probably be some confusion there. <laughs> yeah, especially um, if you're not, if you're only familiar with console gaming at that point, which, admittedly, at that time, PC, CD-ROM was still enough of a presence that it wasn't outlandish for someone to always be familiar with that concept but yeah you're right if <laughs> yeah I mean insert like disc into was still, you know, they had a presence but I don't think you know they were at their peak quite yet now of course with AOL being a thing you know coming out in the mid 90s that definitely helped out a great deal because you started to see more people use them And then I think that's part of the reason why you start to see a lot of demo discs pop up because, you know, they were a cost-effective option. It was just like, okay, put it out. You know, put it out every month. What are five or six demos we can throw on? Maybe seven at the most. Yeah, and you also... We can throw on that we can put out there for free. Yeah, I mean, you would, and also, you would have, at least on occasion, you would have, um, and this came later with, um, digital distribution via online, when broadband internet got widespread enough that they could, that, that, that you had, um, Microsoft and, uh, Sony would launch the Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Store, respectively, and Nintendo, I think they had the virtual console was first, debuted on the um on the Wii but I can't remember if the um because 
the, the original Xbox and the PS2 were online, had online connectivity from launch, if memory serves, or they, or Which models were. Like, that was, you know, a big thing when they launched both those consoles. Like, okay, you could have online play. Yeah, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah. Um, and the whole multiplayer thing, well before online play, that, that came into play around the mid-90s or so because you started to see that element. Yeah, you had... You started to see Mario Kart 64 kind of had a multiplayer thing and the Mario Party series as well. That's a big... And, and then GoldenEye had the developers just messing around with the code and they essentially built the um unlock the uh, multiplayer mode was just built by accident because the publishers happened to because uh, I don't know if it was Eon Productions or if it was Rare who who made the decision but but apparently the apparently the programmers were just messing around and having essentially a um and having essentially just messing around with the code and just like added it and, and it was an afterthought and it just happened to luck out with that because <laughs> it was not planned that way and that's what planted the seed for you know a lot of other games that kind of come along that had that whole multiplayer element because you know before that it was like the uh, only way you could Play certain games if you had an extra controller around, in which case, yeah, I could play a game with a combat with my brother or whatever. But you had to have an extra controller. It wasn't like, you know, you could just have a multiplayer element and play with somebody in Australia, for instance. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen that way. <laughs> no. And then, of course, other games. Especially there's um other games with just a one player experience only like couldn't <laughs> multiplayer was that <there. laughs> you know there there were a lot of uh, one player instances where you know it just wasn't gonna happen <laughs> and that's just where the trend was at some virtual cop comes to mind because. <laughs> Only way you could multiplay that is if you had a coin in the arcade, which you know we mentioned in an earlier episode. That's just kind of where it was in time. Yep. And it should also be noted that a lot of the earlier games, especially in the uh, N64 variety, they were ports of arcade games. Now, granted, sometimes they were poorly made ports of <laughs> arcade games, but that's you know that's where the focus was at the time. Right. Cruising USA springs to mind. Because <laughs> anybody that's played the arcade game and then played the console game, they'd be like, wait a minute, this is the same one. <laughs> it's like the Homeboy port. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it was just like, well, what, what is this? <laughs> um, let's see, let me think of something else. PS2 was also one of those consoles that had a nice run before, you know, PS3 was officially launched. And in the case of PS2, you start to see, like, burnout via 
great title. Of course, Gran Turismo stuff kept going on. Jack and Daxter, you know, also got a nice boost from that. Yeah. Trying to think. Um, you saw NASCAR coming there with their gaming, you know, the Heat Series. And yeah, the original run of that. If you had yeah, a couple of those. That did fairly well. Yeah. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Tony Hawk's pro skater, <laughs> you know, for, especially for Sony, that, that did wonders. That did wonders. I think, um, you know, it brought skating to the mainstream in a way that I saw a few things happen before that. The skating really wasn't, back in like 95, 96, skating really wasn't the mainstream thing might have known somebody that was into it but video games based around skating <laughs> at that time not so much and the Simpsons attempt to do their skating game but I don't, I don't know what happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got a couple of those you're right <laughs> but it just never really caught on the same way that Tony Hawk's uh, franchise did let me see PGA Tour I think I remember it. Wasn't it Tiger Woods PGA Tour at one point? Yeah, at that, before his fall from grace in 20, in 2009-ish. Um, and even then, it still lasted a number of years after that. But, <laughs> um, you know, so, but yeah, now, it, and then... And then, and then um, they had the one with Roy with Rory McElroy was the um, cover athlete for the last one that EA published before they lost the rights. Um, and now two K is taking and, it up. And EA was in a better position at that point, son, because yep. they, they didn't have as much of a reputation at that point, son. So it was like, you know, you started to see PGA Tour and FIFA also had their games on the uh, Sony and Sega systems at that time. I feel like FIFA had more presence than they do now because you know, their own schedule. I mean, at one point time you couldn't pass the store shelf without seeing a FIFA game. And then, um, let's see, what are some other ones that I can think of right off the top of my head? I cannot forget about NHL either, because NHL had their nice book running some games well for the PS1. Can't forget about them. I'm trying to think here. There were also a couple of licensed games at the time, like Rugrats Search for Repsar as well. <laughs> you know, a lot of companies were getting into that whole spirit. The Search for Repsar, I don't blame them, because Search for Repsar is a fun game. <laughs> so I definitely don't blame them there. And then, um, this spun by. Wasn't Battle for Bikini Battle for Bikini Bottom was issued on what? That was the Xbox and PS2 respectively. Was that? I think the GameCube as well, but I forget. Um, yeah. Trying to think here. Um, 
Now, Nick did try to put out big races to compete with Mario Kart, but I don't think it really took. You know, it did okay, but I don't really think it succeeded in the way they thought it was going to. No. One of those where you either remember it or you don't. And then, of course, Mattel tried to get in with their whole Barbie game, but I don't really think, you know, I don't really think the demographic for that was really clamoring for a Barbie game, not from what I can see. The dolls, yes. Video games, no, not so much. And then, of course, we got to get to Bubsy 3D, which was one of those platforms that just never caught on. No. Like, it's just one of those that never was. <laughs> yeah, okay, now let's shift gears a bit here. Um, um, I don't know where to put this. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the um, Donkey Kong 64 or whatever. Yeah, Donkey Kong 64 was one of those extensive games. Like, I don't really think people know how extensive it was. I mean, it wasn't just, oh, you gotta get everything for Donkey Kong and you're done with the game. No, 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 no. No, no. You had not one, not two, not even three, but five characters that you had to collect items from. I wanna know if anybody beat that game, because that is want to talk about an immersive experience that is one <laughs> yeah you had to get the rumble pack for the N64 to even play the game or else it wasn't going to function on your system that's right you had to buy an extra piece of equipment I remember because mom actually had to go out because we had gotten the N64 with Donkey Kong 64 the Christmas gift that year right and she didn't know that you had to get a rumble pack. So she she got she was like, wait a minute, this game doesn't work. <laughs> and then she was like, what's a rumble pack? And also what made this stand out was the cartridge had, you know, a banana yellow kind of tint to it. So you automatically knew what game it was. So you kinda I I think I got you see how how much it, did I complete? I think I only got like twelve percent through that game. <laughs> I don't I know for sure I didn't complete it. And Donkey Kong was one of those series that underwent a shift because the initial arcade game was nothing like what Donkey Kong Country or Donkey Kong sixty four was. <laughs> You know, you'd be hard-pressed to notice it even as the same game because it was more to it. And then, let me see, another significant title, Super Mario 64 for sure. Because that was when people first really got to see the whole capabilities of what, you know, the N64 could do. Yeah, and you would also have, and then on the PlayStation side, that's uh, following that you had um, now Crash Bandicoot. They technically qualifies a 3D platformer, but but 
but Spyro is what really showed off what the PlayStation could do <laughs> for the oh, first time. <laughs> not not to take away from Crash Bandicoot because it did well and it was successful, but right. Spyro, like you said, was one of the first ones to kind of really show. Okay, this is what we're capable of doing. Yep. And it was also one of the uh, first original platform. It was one of two because Crash Bandicoot was the other. It was it put Sony in a unique position because Nintendo already had their finance guide. I mean, at that point in time, Set Stone wasn't going anywhere, but Sony was. You know, not used to having, you know, a hero or a platform of the decade. So they end up having two of them. Because I can't forget about, you know, Nintendo having Mega Man. Now, of course, as much as people talk about Mario, we cannot <laughs> uh, neglect Mega Man out of this conversation because he definitely played a part. Not to mention all the other licensed games that popped up around that time, because DC and Marvel, you know, they were both kind of licensed <laughs> games at that point in time. Now, Superman 64, that should have just stayed in the cutting room floor. <laughs> or the that, that was not a good game. I played a demo of it, and even then I knew it was like, oh, no. <laughs> or, at the very least, they should have they waited until... I think they should have waited until... Um... The GameCube had come out because that was, it clearly was not working <laughs> with what they had. No, N64 was not going to. It, it was unfinished, first of all. Yep. You know, if it, it was just an unfinished game, it's just there, there's no other way to spin it. <laughs> um, let's see some other significant type. Spider-Man sure got a lot of PS1 games, if I remember correctly. Like it was a couple. Tied into there. Um, and around that time, Sega also had the Dreamcast come out. And even though they had a successful title, the Dreamcast was always gonna play second fiddle. I mean, it just never really caught on as much. PS2, you know, you started to see even more mad games and you know knockout kings you know there was another one that I could say also EA was leading the charge with that mm. telling you EA's reputation was a lot better back then because people actually trusted EA to put out a quality game more often than not they had it now not so much then of course you have to mention all the bizarre tie-in games. When I say bizarre, I mean like Crazy Frog, and American Idol video game, which I still can't believe that's a thing. But it was out there. Yep. Uh, let's see, what's another weird tie-in that I can think of? Oh, how did I miss out on Pepsi Man and that other seven-up game for the SN game? Which I played, by the way. <laughs> but it's just like, really? That, that's <laughs> looking back at it, it's just like, that's what we made a whole game off of. 
Yeah, you had a couple of those. Trying to think here. Some other things that I can think of. You had a lot of TV time games like CSI, the video game, you know, that came out. Didn't do as well, but it was out there. And then, of course, the Charlie's Angels video game, which I'm glad I passed by that on the Blockbuster show. That was smart of <laughs> me. Uh, Mortal Kombat also had a couple Nintendo ports as well. I can't forget about that. I know they tend to be associated with Sega Genesis, but Nintendo got their ports as well. Um, let me keep thinking here. I want to say that Mortal Kombat stood out because that was the first significant video game controversy I can think of, at least in my lifetime. Because I remember, you know, a lot of politicians were like, "What is, what is this? <laughs> you know, why, why does this exist?" So, you know, that was significant. Street Fighter as well. <laughs> There's another franchise that really brought in a lot of money for. I want to say Nintendo and Capcom, they they they, they made a nice little grip of money off of that particular franchise because if no other Capcom game sold, Street Fighter did. <laughs> and all this numerous incarnation. Trying to think here. It was a lot of different time. To, to look at the amount of times that were stagnant, I mean, all the, even the WWE games themselves, you could do a whole episode just based around them because it seemed like every game system had some of which were better than others because the Nitro game I like to pretend doesn't exist because that wasn't good. No. It's another good one that I can think of. Um, I think Cartoon Network also had a couple tie-in games, but I don't think they had as much of a presence. I know they were out there, but I can't recall really playing too many of them. MLB was kind of like that kind of went back and forth with it because sometimes they had more time games and sometimes they didn't. It was always interesting to see that. And then Tekken, you know, really helped out Sony side of things, especially on the PS1 because that's the, you know, Tekken 1 and 2 were huge sellers, especially the second one. Yeah, a couple of those, you're right. Um, all right, so we are just approaching the 40-minute mark for that, um, for the recording episode of this. All right, for the non-sponsored part of this episode. All right, so I think what we'll do is we'll end this here, and we will um, come back to this topic again and again and again and again and again. This is such an interesting topic because, I think in the next uh, episode we'll touch more on 
PS2, Wii, and, you know. Well, after the Wii came later, but yeah. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. Okay, alright, so. Okay, we just crossed the 40 minute mark. Alright, so, ending this here now, alright? <laughs> Until next time, peace.